Scuba Obsessed Weekly Podcast, we talk about all things scuba diving, from cool new gear to places to dive and scuba the news. Scuba Obsessed episode 442 is recorded live March 26, 2020. Welcome back to Scuba Fest. I'm Darren Jilson coming to you from the southwest side of the great state of Michigan, where we're sheltering in place. Joining me this week, we have Mac, the dive mentor. How are you doing today, Mac? Well, I'm sheltering in place, and I don't expect to get the hell out of here. Yeah, it's. Uh, I think I think we're going to be holed up for a little bit. Also joining us this week, we have Kevin Ailes. How are you doing today, Kevin? Oh, I'm doing pretty decent here so far. Thanks for having me on. And how about you, Darren? How, how are you holding up these days? Well, I'm doing about as good as can be expected. Everybody's healthy and we're all here at home. You know, it kind of the uh, upside, the downside is normally this time of year, I wouldn't see my kids. They'd be all the way at college, but they're all home now. So is that a good thing? It's kind of a little, I, you know, since we've had almost, uh, you know, six months without kids around the house it's not too bad to have them for a few weeks now we'll see we'll see in two weeks if we're we haven't rubbed everybody's nerves raw but yeah trying trying to find a positive in this situation well as long as you're staying indoors yeah yeah uh uh, i i did get out do some walking you know nice nice thing about working from home is that you uh you know travel time is almost zero you know it it only takes me uh, maybe 30 seconds to get from the uh, bedroom to the uh to my office so that's that's pretty nice what's the parking like a parking <laughs> it's full <laughs> we're always full <laughs> we've got more cars than than drivers so cars drivers trailers all sorts of stuff so we're full but at least i've got a assigned spot so the one farthest from the house the one the one that she doesn't want <laughs> yeah <laughs> yeah that, that's one that no nobody wants it I just like to park a little bit farther away from everybody because they all crowd right there at the entrance. It's like, what you, you, you know, th- this would be if this was a store. You know, the farthest away spot is like right now would be real close. So it's all everything's all relative. Well, Darren, I'll tell you. I mean, uh, having that farthest away parking spot's not going to hurt you. Are you inferred there. Uh, <laughs> I just inferred. <laughs> I didn't say, yeah. but come on, you know. Yeah, size I got, I got a house on a hill. All right. Yeah. Well, it looks like we have a uh, good number of people in the chat room. Glad everybody could make it, and hope hopefully them and their families are doing well. We have Derek, and we have Eric, and we have Karen showing up this week. Um, like to apologize for the delay in getting in. It only took my computer just a little over an hour and fifteen minutes to load Discord, so that is officially a new record for being slow. I think everybody's at home watching Netflix or other streaming services and it's uh making things a little a little slow and i i do want to apologize to the folks who uh i guess we lost about three people in the chat room we had scuba terry in there earlier and uh, i see eric roloff did come back on um had dave on there too uh we were kind of wondering if derek was going to join us tonight and word went around the chat that uh, you weren't going to make it i'm not quite sure that started from but i guess i probably should have confirm with you before a bit of a good night so we had a pretty full chat room we still got a pretty good group in here yet tonight yeah. though yeah yeah well i mean that happens so uh they yeah. just got I'm, mad I'm, they're just getting tired of hearing my, my prank yeah. is chomping over here and so yeah well my my email's not even coming up it says uh google account is uh temporary unavailable one thing i did notice today was that google was having some problems so you know and how everything is tied together Let's go ahead and jump right on into the news. Let's see. We got this first article up. Uh, North Carolina wins Blackbeard's shipwreck copyright dispute. A, sh- a short article, and I'm going to do it from memory, is that uh, if you had remembered, some someone had the rights to uh, take exclusive video and photos of the Blackbeard shipwreck, and then the state... Uh, well, I, I guess we would have said violated the copyright, but 
now the Supreme Court has uh, ruled that as a sovereign state, they don't have to follow those rules. You know, what's that say? I mean, I, I can understand from one standpoint that we don't want to uh, necessarily have uh, states tied up in, in legal claims or for liability, but, uh, you know, they're, as, as somebody who creates stuff that can be copyrighted, uh, not a good day. Yeah, that's kind of scary business. I mean, I know that the group who was doing the video was in that Odyssey Marine. They, you know, they were the only compensation they were getting was exclusive ownership of the of the footage they were taking, and they took a lot of footage. And the state of Carolina decided to uh, use some of that in their advertising campaigns for uh, the tourism and come visit uh, South Carolina. You know, there was an ensuing lawsuit, which you know you would think would be a slam dunk for the. Um, you know, the company who took the footage, but uh, obviously not. And this has gone through quite a few courts and it's kind of scary for those of us who, uh, you know, cr- you know, create content that um, sounds like uh, your individual states may be able to do, do with your, you know, your content as they see fit. That's um, yeah. you know, not cool, but that's the law of the land now, apparently. Yeah. And, you know, this is something that, uh, us as citizens can hold our states responsible and say, you know, even though you can't be sued for violating a copyright, we want you to honor copyrights. Well, I mean, I guess if you want to start writing letters to your congressman, you might have get some traction with that. It sounds as though this they simply were able to add this uh, material to the one of their antiquity laws as, um, you know, just claim it as, you know, it was a uh, property of North Carolina. Uh, I'm not quite sure on the details. I don't have the, I, the article in front of me, but I was drawing most of my information from a previous article that I'd seen on this. And it's kind of scary business. So, yeah. And, and See, don't, don't the, think uh, the negative, yeah, the negative yeah. effect is of this is going to be that these, anybody who's got copyright, you're not going to release all your material or make it public knowing that it's going to be, that it could potentially be stolen. You're going to end up firewalling it or restricting it. And some content might not even be readily av- available for people to see and view uh, because something like this can happen. You know, if they, if a, uh, if a state can't see it, then they can't steal it. Yeah. In, in the chat room saying, yeah, you only show your second rate stuff. Well, I know I've spoken with several different, uh, you know, still artists, namely like um, we had a big chat going on on Cal Cothroad's page about, uh, you know, who owns the pictures. And it, it gets to be kind of a challenge with so much file sharing online these days. Uh, but, you know, particularly when you have a lot of folks who are, you know, cropping out watermarks and then putting in their own advertising and it's it's rampant and it's really hard mm-hmm. to keep up with very, very frustrating for the artists. Yeah. I know um, I had a pretty good heated topic on it with uh, Becky Kagan Scott and uh, Kel Cothroat on, on his page one day about it. And, you know, these folks, they put a lot of, of time and effort and money into reaching the level that they're at. You know, I mean, when you, you know, I'm sure most of our dive community has experimented with GoPros and different cameras down there. And, you know, it's not easy to get presentable results. And, you know, a lot of these folks, this is their trade. This is their craft. This is what they have, you know, put, you know, many, many years of their life into, you know, you know, producing good quality footage. And to see that someone, anyone, well, not just anyone, but the state apparently now has the the right to take it, add it to uh, one of their antiquities laws and say it's part of, it's their stuff now and do with it as they please. And I'm sure the other states are watching this as well. So, yeah, yeah. With everything online being shared the way it is, it's it's hard to even honor copyright. There's there's times where um, you will look on sites where they've given you the you know they do a Creative Commons and let you use or repurpose content, but they can only do that if they own the content. If they take somebody's copyrighted content, put it on one of those sites, it doesn't. You know, they, they didn't have the right to do that, so it doesn't become uh, Creative Commons or public domain. Well, uh, I've found that for the most part, though, the media is very willing to, you know, give credit for photographs and video, uh, you know, particularly if, if it's mentioned to them. You know, I had a 
some a picture of a shipwreck up in um, Whitehall area that genuinely went viral. Uh, the overhead shot from my drone of the uh, the contest, and that was originally shown by Michigan Shipwreck Research Association, and who did credit me properly for it. But then it got picked up by uh, a tourism Facebook page, which I'm not gonna get, I'm not gonna mention, and who did not give me credit for it. And from there, it just went everywhere. And I mean, it got picked up by AP News, and it got picked up. It just, I mean, it got <laughs> put as part of a uh, fake news. It was just, it went, it went, it went crazy. And you know, I was able to, you know, contact most of the folks that had miscredited it to that Facebook page. And once I mentioned, you know, showed them the original post of, you know, MSRA crediting me for it, they were real good about it, you know. And you know, they, the media is very good about properly crediting stuff problem is of course is that by the time i got the things credited and fixed you know the the, the buzz had kind of you know had peaked and gone or gone over the hill but uh, you know for the most part you know, your your organizations uh are, are very decent about crediting you and you know I'll, i will say i'll go on the record that you know michigan shipwreck Research association you know has always credited me for the pictures of, of mine they've used and they're pretty good about it so yeah i, th- I think most reputable groups or organizations will be that way. Uh, your larger news media, because they, they live and die by the same rules are also going to attempt to be pretty good. Yeah. Well, there's a, for the most part, there's quite a bit of legislation on the side of, you know, who, who it is, whoever it is that owns the material. But what we're seeing here in this article is that, uh, that's not going to hold a lot of weight when you're taking on the state. So, what are you? What are you going to do? Uh, make sure you put your watermark right across the middle of it. You know, I mean, just yeah, yeah. Well, then we've got uh, with the COVID virus going on, we're seeing some creative uses of scuba gear. Uh, this one's from the Jerusalem Post. Decathlon turned scuba gear into ventilators to help fight the coronavirus. Since I can't load that, Kevin, can you read that one? I I can read that and I will state that we're not endorsing anyone uses their um full face or a full face snorkeling mask as a uh oh uh loser. Yeah. Okay, okay, decathlon turns scuba gear into ventilators to help fight coronavirus. The conversion of their line of easy breath scuba masks was done alongside the Rome based three D printing startup institute of studies for the integration of systems. Ishnova Next, we have a picture of a gentleman here in a uh, full-face scuba mask. Uh, one of the, uh, the the snorkeling masks that we mentioned quite a bit here on the on the podcast at different times. <clears throat> Excuse me. Sporny good giant decathlon is contributing to the fight against coronavirus by sending makeshift ventilators to hospitals in northern Italy. While Decathlon, the French sporting goods retailer, which is the largest such retailer in the world, typically typically doesn't sell ventilators. It does sell scuba gear, which they hacked and enhanced with specific components made by 3D printers to work as ventilators. The conversion of their line of Easy Breath scuba masks was done alongside the Rome-based Institute of Studies for the Integration of Systems, ISNOVA, and was prompted by a request from the head physician of a hospital in Gardon Val Tromfina in the Italian region of Lombardy, which is one of the regions hit worse by the coronavirus, to address the ventilator shortage, Cycling Weekly reported. ISNOVA uploaded the means of converting a scuba mask into a functioning ventilator online, creating a video detailing the process. This is to ensure other hospitals can use decathlon scuba gear to make ventilators themselves. The specific 3D printed valve, which they called the Charlotte valve, uses patented but the entire initiative is nonprofit with the 3D printed. And here we have a little schematic. Looks like a video going on there to show you how to do this. However, ISNOVA has stated that this new invention, while functional, is still something that should only be used in emergencies. We are reiterating that the idea is designed for healthcare facilities and wants to help in realization of an emergency mask in the case of a full-blown difficult situation, where it is not possible to find official healthcare supplies, this Nova said in a statement according to the mirror. I don't think that language English is someone's first language in that last paragraph, but uh, neither the mask nor the link are certified, and their use is subject to a situation of mandatory need. Usage by the patient is subjected to the acceptance 
of use of an uncertified biomedical device by, pro by providing a signed declaration. We clarify that the patient will remain free to use because it is in our intention that all hospitals in need could use it if necessary. However, on Wednesday, Decathlon stated on Twitter that while the company has been approached by many hospitals, research centers, and universities and have shared their technical information, they haven't received confirmation from the institutions so far that such solutions really work and are used by doctors. According to Cycling Weekly, Italian cycling close company Santini SMS is also working to help fight the virus, shifting their production of jerseys into making medical masks. Deborah Dahan contributed this report. And there you have it. Yeah, and, and in the chat room, they pointed out, uh, thanks, Eric, that that was not scuba gear, which is true, that snorkeling uh, equipment. So this is the uh, full face mask that we've seen uh, that had become controversial because some people have uh, died from using them. Uh, in this particular case, the the attractiveness is of, of it is that it has a full, uh, that covers the full face. And then you've got a port which is normally where you'd be snorkeling out of where um, something could be attached and it can be used to offset. Uh, so I, I, Karen was saying that uh, that's a kind of a BiPAP mass style. Uh, so often used with patients who don't quite need uh, intubation. Hey guys, we're mostly just sharing this out of, you know, curiosity here. It's just kind of intriguing that someone has found a way to adapt a snorkeling mask to potentially be used in a medical situation here. Uh, you know, we're not recommending this kind of bit, you know, to induce this, this here. It sounds as though there's no evidence that a, uh, any medical group has actually used this. So uh, just curious to see that the, some of the te technology is similar and could be adapted. Yeah, I'm on a Facebook group that's been looking at all these like homemade and open source projects. And uh, a lot of third world countries are interested in it just because even in the best of times, they're usually under equipped. Uh, but especially now, the, this is a high risk situation for them. So they're looking at it as uh, this is better than nothing. Your next item, though, has an interesting pictorial of the mask where it says uh, Italian engineers, brilliant 3D printed hack. You can see how that can be used as they breathe in under pressure with that full face, it forces the lung to expand. And then when they relieve that, he exhales, it goes out a, a relief valve, which shuts. Mm -hmm. Then when they pressurize that one side, it'll force air into you because it's covered over your entire face. They're going to get 100% ventilation. If they're feeding O2 into you, you're going to get a full 100% O2 fed to the lungs under pressure. But you'll see that when you go to the next item. Uh, do you want to read that one, Mac? Uh, the third one talked about Italian engineers brilliant 3D printed hack turned, like you said, scuba, but it's the snorkel mask to ventilators. The picture is pretty good here. Because And you've used them, I've used them. You put your hand over the top and suck in, you ain't going to get nothing. But at the same token, if you design a pressure valve or a pressure line to it and inflate the mask, and if the mask is fully on your face, it's going to assist you in breathing. If you make a little breath, it's going to forcefully put some air into your lungs. Then when you would exhale, it looks like the intake valve shuts, exit valve opens, so you'd relieve the pressure, you'd exhale, and it would cycle back and forth. Said, uh, obviously, the biggest issue is I don't have anything. Something is better than nothing. Uh, let me read that one little part. Said, in severe cases, lungs become inflamed, filled with fluid, which makes them so they can't breathe and oxygenate the blood. The ventilator makes a difference between life and death. Uh, basically, they said, they made a hundred of these. They've got them set out. It appears they are being used. The first working prototype was tested at the Chara Hospital, proven to be effective. After the test, engineers printed a hundred more. Engineers quickly patented the valve, made the 3D printings available, free for anyone to use in the crisis. Don't expect any kind of royalties. Uh, nor the sale of the uh, decathlon mask. The valves cost about a dollar to make and have a real good picture of the valve I was talking about as it would hook on to the top of the snorkel intake. It looks pretty darn simple. Uh, 
somebody ought to be making these because even as I speak, they've overwhelmed the hospitals around Detroit, and they're already into that same aspect of making decisions of who can live and who can die because they don't have any ventilators. So this is sure as hell worth a try. Well, I think if you're in the situation, though, where you need this kind of care, you know, uh, personally, I would think rather than, you know, staying at home and trying to make something yourself on a 3D printer, you probably should seek medical attention and head to the hospital and uh, get the best care you can get. You know, uh, we're looking around the house at the best, you know, how could we, uh, you know, get oxygen slip around the house and things because we're talking about possibility of, you know, ERs being overwhelmed and things. But no matter what, if you're in trouble, head for the hospital. I'm, I'm, I'm not going to, you know, try, try to create something on my, on my own here at home. I'm going to go get some help if I need it. Yeah, I, uh, for for me personally, I wouldn't try and stay at home if you are in need of medical attention. It's better to try and go and get it. Uh, you know, don't see where they're saying is, build this at home. That's what yeah. I, I'm not unsure where you're coming from, guys. They're giving these to the hospital to use when they don't have the actual ventilator. So I'm mm-hmm. not sure what it's got to do with staying at home. Yeah, I'm just saying that uh, I don't I, think. I agree. The hospitals are going to use these because the, the previous article did mention that even though they had made the plan available uh, to date, they haven't heard any feedback from the hospitals actually using them. So. Well, this hospital is obviously using them. <laughs> and I can't, didn't have the name of the hospital. Yeah. Why is that given that uh, to you? The only thing yeah, is that, the patient or the person's responsible person has to sign an item saying they're approved to use this. Basically, because I've got nothing else, well, let's give it a shot. Yeah, I just don't think they're going to use it in the U.S. because it, everything has to be all approved and you know being used for the 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 use it was intended for. And you know, unfortunately, they're going to you know leave you to your own devices before they put you on one of these here. So, I, yeah, I would hazard to guess that if they had this at the hospital I'm talking about in Detroit, they'd be using the darn things. Hmm. I posted a, an item on my on my page of the nurse who just got off shift talking about they're having to make decisions because the last respirator they could, they had, they used seven hours ago. And the people who need it since then ain't doing so good. I am willing to bet you dollars to donut. If they had these, they sure as hell try them. Well, it sounds like New York has a system now where they're actually able to put two people on one respirator too. So. Yeah, I've, I've seen that where they've I don't know. Hey, but the next article talks about shipwrecks. Who can read that one? Before. I can read it if you like. I don't know. Are you guys hearing me pretty well? Yeah. Yeah, you're coming through clear. Okay. Let's see. Two wooden shipwrecks discovered on Florida Beach. This was uh, by James Rogers in Fox News from three days ago. I don't want that, don't want that video to load up here. Here we go. All right. So, um, the wrecks of two wooden boats, one of which may be more than 100 years old, have been uncovered on a beach in northern Florida. In a Facebook post, the St. Augustine Lighthouse and Maritime Museum explained that the wrecks were found at jetties in Mayport near Jacksonville. Chuck Mead of the museum's Lighthouse Archaeological Museum Project, LAMP, explained that the organization was alerted to a wooden boat or shipwreck near the Mayport jetties. We found the location in question after a short reconnoiter of the beach along the St. John's River near the jetties, he wrote. There we found not one, but two wooden wrecks. They represent two seemingly partially intact boats. They are too lightly built to have been ocean-going ships, but instead were large boats that are now partially buried. Uh, Next part is Florida beachgoers discover holy grail of shipwrecks after the remains of the 18th century wash ashore. Holy grail? Did they find the griffin down there? Seriously? Well, that's a holy grail. But anyway, okay, back to the article. Um, <laughs> they, they said they said holy grail. Come on. When they say holy grail, that's only the griffin. Come on. Right? Am I right or wrong here, guys? Anyway. Mead explained that what appears to be the forward ends or bows of the boats are exposed with the larger or more exposed boat displaying about 21 feet of its overall length. The archaeologist thinks that the boat was originally about 30 to 32 feet long and 7 to 8 feet wide. We have a nice picture here of the, uh, it looks like we're seeing a little bit of the the uh, chine of one of the boats here. So that's the side and some of the uh, joints putting it together. 
The second boat has so little exposed that we cannot accurately estimate how, how big it might have once been, he added. The more exposed of the two boats also has what appears to be a stump of a mast, according to Meade. It is difficult to estimate the age range of this boat, but it could easily be 75 to 100 years old and possibly older, he wrote. One local resident said he thought these boats were abandoned wreckage dating to Hurricane Dora in 1964, and they could have been used for decades before that, perhaps as fishing boats. One of the two boats was lodged next to some robust timbers that appear to be the remains of an, an old dock. The Sunshine State continues to reveal its shipwreck secrets. In 2018, Florida beachgoers discovered the Holy Grail shipwrecks. Another Holy Grail of shipwrecks? Really? How many of these we got? After the remains of an 18th century ship washed ashore. Separately, in 2018, Hurricane Michael unearthed the wreckage of nearly a 120-year-old ship on Dog Island in Franklin County. And we have another article following this up here. A little bit about Hurricane Michael unearthed nearly 120-year-old ship wreckage on Florida Island. And this looks like a previous article here from 2018. But uh, just we kind of go into a little bit of detail about previous wrecks being unearthed by hurricanes down there in Florida, which seems to be a pretty regular occurrence down there. I There's some other articles here which are linked which are not necessarily part of this one here, so it's hard to say where it ends, but I'm going to call it good at that point. Yeah, I, I think that was probably it. Uh, well, there's a little so, bit more, but it's 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 another article, another wreck, and they, they seem to be kind of a, a series of linked articles going back to about, it starts with current and goes back to about 2018. But, uh, yeah. Yeah, I, I a lot of these websites will do, uh, you know, they, they, they do this infinite scrolling where, Yep. You have one article and then they add another article to it because, oh, it's related just to give you the opportunity to see some more ads, which everybody loves to see. Uh, but uh, well, well, yeah, we I mean, these are the things we always like. We always see this time of year where, uh, you know, sand's being moved and wrecks are showing up on the beaches. And uh, But <laughs> as you highlighted, the, it is amazing how many holy grails there are. Well, it- <clears throat> It's the most popular catchphrase for a new shipwreck being found. It's always the Holy Grail of shipwrecks. I mean, comment sections are pretty good. It says uh, it's hard to believe they just discovered it since there's a house in the background. I mean, it's in their beach. And the other guy yeah. I had up here is I want the names of the persons who were on the closed beach of Duval Country of Duval County and found these wrecks identified so the appropriate punitive action can be taken by God. Since they have a action, quarantine, they're believing they shouldn't be on the beach. The beaches are closed. Hmm. A of interesting well, comment. They, yeah, I don't know. This kind of just seems it's, – it, it's, it's good material. Don't get me wrong. It's uh, I wouldn't call it clickbait by any means. Uh, it's decently written and all that. Just uh, It is a, a series of stories kind of strung together. It's kind of hard to say where one ends and the next one begins. But, uh, yeah, you know, just as we've had all of our beach erosion here in the Midwest that's exposing so much stuff uh, every season and even week by week sometimes, you know, down in Florida, obviously the hurricanes do the same thing down there. I don't know if anyone's been walking the beaches lately, but it's just been astounding how much driftwood has come ashore locally here. Now, if any of you folks like to, um, you know, decorate your yard with driftwood, <laughs> um it's an awful lot of it out there to be had, especially every new gale that comes through here uh, deposits, you know, tons of it there in South Haven. So, is, is this more than normal? I mean, I I don't have any perspective of does a normal spring have a lot of driftwood, or is this is this a normal? Not like this, not like this. Yeah, are, the, Kevin's right. I've been down those same beaches many times, and there's places you can walk not on sand but on wood. Yeah, very true. Very true. I mean, uh, we go to South Haven every time a, a, a good blow comes through. And, you know, the, the sand is disappearing on the beach, but it's not just a matter of, you know, the sand being gone, exposing fresh wood. Uh, it looks as though the, you know, the, it's scoring up the bottomland so much offshore that it's pushing up all kinds of fresh stuff. And some of the stuff is massive. And you're wondering like, where did these, these tree trunks, obviously very, very old tree trunks. In fact, I just recently learned how to identify old growth forest. And I'm going to start checking these things out to see if they are indeed old growth forest, but there's a tremendous amount of 
huge, massive, large hunks of wood coming up in the South Haven area. Uh, we we walked the uh, beach up in Saugatuck last week and came across some, some massive beams up there, some big, big beams. And I'm thinking some of these things were uh, you know, parts of the old lighthouse because there was a lighthouse at the mouth of the Kalamazoo River, which was destroyed by a tornado in 1855. And it was, uh, you know, quite a spectacular event when it happened. And we always walk that beach in the spring looking for the Milwaukee of 1842, which would be a really great find to come across. But as of yet, we haven't come across anything definitively from that ship. But the, uh, you know, where the lighthouse stood in that area, we did find some very large, apparently, let me be pine beams. Um, they were too knotty. We could be oak as I would be. I would think, and they weren't, weren't enough attachment points to be a ship, and at least in my opinion, anyway. But there were some large bolts in it, uh, quite a few. You know, you can see where there, there had been some some notches cut for framing. So uh, we're thinking it might have been part of the old lighthouse up there. And this kind of stuff, you're, you're seeing this stuff all over the lake shore on this side of the pond. So if you get out there and get a chance, take a look. There's some cool stuff out there. Uh, on a percentage basis, how much of this is, you know, human cut building type material and how much of it is just uh, logs that are, you know, like you said, old growth that may be floating up? I would say 99% of it is natural wood that has not been shaped or formed into, into something there. 99% okay. of it is natural stuff. Um, you know, Cool, cool lawn ornaments, and uh, yeah. everyone's taking the stuff. So, uh, you know, <laughs> well, you know, I, I don't know exactly what the regulations are on collecting, but when we go down there after a big, a big storm, you know, you, you, you think that half the county was down there walking that beach, hauling pieces out of there, and there's some really cool pieces to pull out. Uh, but yeah, the vast majority of it that we're coming across is natural, you know, unformed wood. But if you keep your eyes peeled. You do come across some interesting stuff. We did come across some stuff in South Haven, oh, back in December that I'm quite confident was from the original pier. Because the uh, pier prior to, uh, I believe it was 1901, was a wooden pier. And the uh, Army Corps of Engineers came out and they built a, built a cement pier at that point. Then later it was extended and... I might have my details a little bit off on the dates there, but for a long time, the uh, pier in South Haven, as in most places, was the old you know pier pilings. Yeah. And we, we came across a good-sized ch- section of a crib that was probably about an eighth of a mile to the north of the river mouth there in South Haven. And based upon the bolts we saw in it and the way the wood was hewn and the sections put together, uh, quite confident it was one of the cribs from most likely the uh, south the South Pier there in South Haven, and you know I mean there's a lot of history coming up here, but it, it can be hard to identify. So you're looking at things that have been down there for a century. Um, interestingly, uh, oh Wes Olazuski recently shared a video on. Uh, let's see if I can look at that video and share it in here. But it was a really cool video on how to identify shipwreck pieces. If you guys hang out in the chat room for a bit, I'll see if I can locate that. Because, uh, you know, I don't know how many of you folks like to comb the beaches and look for interesting things when it's too rough to go diving. You know, by the way, here in Michigan, uh, apparently we do get some time for some exercise to get outside. So uh, it's a legitimate thing to do, you know. So we're not, you know, breaking the shelter in place law. If we walk the beach a little bit, you're not too far from home. To, uh, yeah, yeah you, can, you can do that. Keep your social distancing. Yeah, you can. You can. So let me see if I can find that video by Wes. It was on Facebook. Well, if Kevin's you... doing that, we'll go ahead and close out this uh, scuba in the news section. That article I sent you from Undercurrent? Uh, I, I saw you had sent something. I don't have good enough bandwidth right now to open it. Uh, what they what would they have in there? They were talking about... Uh, you got to be an idiot if you're going to go overseas to go diving right now. Oh, are there people who are trying to? Yeah. Well, I know they're not really having oh any gosh. blah, blah, blah. Yeah. It was, a, it was a very, very good article. Uh, and it talked about a couple of beaches and areas that are totally closed to diving. I don't – hang on. If you don't have it, I'll look it up real quick. I uh, is, this, this is the one you just sent? Uh, this it's is the one from A couple hours ago, yeah. Yeah. Uh, 
It says some of our fellow divers are still trying to get out of the country to go diving where they believe the risk of coronavirus is minimal. That's awfully uninformed and selfish behavior. After all, the recorded gestation period of up to 37 days, the virus could be traveling right along with them, bringing havoc to where they travel. But if they wish to ignore the greater good and carry on anyway, they may end up bringing quarantine abroad for a much longer than we even care to consider. The U.S. State Department has warned American citizens not to travel abroad due to the coronavirus pandemic, issuing the highest possible advisory. The level four do not travel advisories. U.S. citizens are to avoid all international travel due to the global impact of COVID-19. Many countries are implementing travel restrictions and mandatory quarantines, closing borders, prohibiting non-citizens from entry or exit with little or no advance notice. Those stranded, thanks to travel restrictions and the fight cancellations, can only be patients and self-isolate. Many are struggling to get support from the State Department as staffing levels are drawn down. So while being underwater is about the safest place one can be, getting there isn't safe for the greater good. Stay home. And uh, in looking at articles for this week, I was ignoring about the four or five where people were whining that they were trying to get home after a dive trip and they were stranded. I found that article, that link. I'm pasting it into the chat room right now. Yeah. Anyway, the article I was posting about the old growth versus new growth, growth and how to identify if you find wood on the beach, is it a shipwreck or is it a um, something else? Pretty good article here uh, by Wes Olazuski. Um Actually, probably be a pretty good guy to have for a uh, guest on the podcast at some point. He is a uh, writer who's put together a number of good books on, uh, you know, two losses here in the Great Lakes. I don't think he does any fiction. Everything he has is really good, uh, very well-researched, and inter- entertainingly written work, too. So, Yeah, we'll have to take a look at that. That looks like uh, it'd be a good video there. And this this also, it, it doesn't just apply here to here in the uh, Midwest, uh, you know, this will apply to a lot of different areas throughout the country, maybe even throughout the world. Uh, one of the points he's making to identify uh, whether something is part of a shipwreck is uh, based upon the age of the wood. Um, at least here in the Great Lakes area, our you know prior to uh, well in our logging days, which went basically from. Um, about 1810 up to about 1915, depending on what part of the state you were in, uh, most of the wood that was logged out to use for different purposes was old growth timber. And this old growth timber would, uh, you know, the the forests were very, very compact and very tight. Uh, Trees had to grow vertically for a long, long, long time to pierce the canopy. And they had a really hard time. They really struggled to reach you know, high enough to get enough sunlight to really be a healthy tree. As a result, they would grow extremely slowly. So you would have, uh, you know, if you are able to get a cross section of the wood, you look at it, and you'll see even with uh, with pine sometimes, where you'll have like 50 rings to the inch. And when you see it that dense, you know, the, the, the rings grew so little in order, you know, each year, that tells you that it was you know, really struggling for light and nutrition to grow, and that tells you that it's part of, of an old growth forest. And then, of course, he goes into a little more detail also about pins and you know tree nails and things. But uh, you know, this could be helpful if you're walking on the beach and hey, is that part of a shipwreck or is it something modern? There you go. So. It's a good item Very to know. Nice. Sorry, guys, I didn't mean to hijack the conversation. You get me going <laughs> on Rex, you know where it goes from there. So yeah, acquiring minds want to know. Yeah. So with the uh, uh, social distancing, has anybody gotten out in the water in the last week? Well, some words. Some people got out at Lake 16, and uh, it looks like there may be two pontoon boats that are upside down right over the berm that are visible from the surface. Someone was going to go now, back out this weekend said- to take pictures and then broadcast it or take the pictures to show what it looked like. So it's not just the platform that turned turtle, but he said these are actually two pontoon boats. Yeah, David Lowry, who's one of the uh, very active divers in this area, uh, he and some folks were out to Lake 16. And yeah, what Mac is talking about was posted on the Mud Club Facebook page. And it sounds as though someone maybe 
doing some work out there because, um, you know, those of us who've been on Lake 16 quite a bit can tell you that the um, the platform out there is made of, it's, it's supported by barrels. There are plastic barrels that hold it up. And, you know, someone actually is, is using pontoon floats. That's something new out there. Yeah. Yeah. Eric is saying that he thinks it's the platform and the photo I saw looked like the, uh, the platform, uh, with the barrels. So I don't know. It'd be interesting to see some other photos if it actually shows a pontoon or if it was just something, cause it's a, it, it's something the the platform is something somebody created. It was welded up with uh, boards put on the top. So, mm-hmm. uh, maybe depending on, you know, what you saw and how long you were there. Yeah. Eric just placed it in the chat room. Uh, that's most certainly the platform and you can see some of the barrels have worked. Oh yeah. Free, yeah. It looks like. Yeah. I haven't seen that picture before, but yeah, well we did see last year that the platform was getting kind of rough out there. Uh, the, what would it be? The uh, Northwest corner of it, the, um, one of the barrels. So it had begun to push up through some of the boards. You know, this thing is shallow enough that the water gets warm enough there that over time, the stuff is going to rot. And yeah, you know, it, yeah, that's, that is our good old platform there we're seeing, which uh, apparently did not fare well over the winter time. So I don't know how anybody looking at that picture could confuse that with two pontoons upside down. Well, no. he, he might've just been referring to the barrels as, uh, the pontoons. <clears throat> I, I mean, I've, I've dove with him quite a bit. He, he, he's a real good diver. Uh, he's a very, actually, extremely uh, eco- ecologically alert guy. <clears throat> I know that he uh, dives any uh, ecology dive we have that, that's around. Uh, he's been putting together a crew to go up to uh, Marquette. I guess we there's going to be a uh, large ecology dive up there in Marquette as of, uh, oh, I can't think the date top of my head. It's, I want to say July 18th. Yeah, but Dave Lowry and his uh, wife, Leslie, they uh, do a, a lot of diving in this area, very active people. And, uh, you know, I'm sure he saw that, and he's a very ecology guy, and he's like, that doesn't belong here. What's up with that? <laughs> you know, so. Yeah. Uh, it, it'd be nice to see some photos, because maybe it's possible that it is a pontoon boat. It's just uh, well, something that we haven't seen. Well, those those pictures that Eric just posted in the chat room, you know, that's that's definitely our old platform out there. Are, are, you, are you seeing in the, in the platform? Are you seeing the picture that Eric posted in the chat room there? Thank you, yes, Eric. I Go agree. Along. It's, it's yeah. the same thing as ours. That's always been there. Yeah. So it it just looks as though I'm guessing that uh, you know one of the barrels worked its way loose, and if that did, that would really unbalance the thing. And that then, of course, with no buoyancy on that corner, because whoever built this put a lot of work into it. You know, there's a there's a there's a metal framework along the bottom of it. There's a lot of chains. I mean, it's it's waterlogged as can be, too. I'm I'm sure this thing weighs, you know, upward of a thousand pounds and you lose, you know, a barrel that's got, you know, 400 pounds of lift and uh, it's going to get kitty wampus on you again. Sorry, Derek, there's that word again. Our friends from down under yeah, were, 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 were critiquing my Michigan lingo earlier on the show. So, <laughs> yeah, we, we have our own vernacular here. Yeah. Hey, you can always tell when someone's from Michigan when they refer to soda as pop, and it's a lot of different things. Oh, <laughs> Just yeah. learning a new language here. Okay, Derek. Yeah, we're, we're gonna. <laughs> okay. Well, I, I know as I travel, I change my vocabulary depending on where I'm at. Cause I used to, uh, have, uh, coworkers in California and we'd have to go out there and, and work on projects. And, uh, they, they were just looking for you to say something like that. So I, my, my goal was not to give them any ammunition and mm-hmm. just to make fun of them. I mean, that's, that's what you do. Yeah. I guess everywhere else in the country, uh, it's, um, uh, Nevada, where we say Nevada, and there's all kinds of stuff that we say a little differently around here, but yeah. we're we're just saying it right. They've been saying it wrong forever. Yeah. Well, and and I, I've got in-laws who who have lived in this area most of their life, and uh, they'll say things like "warsh," which I think is uh, kind mm-hmm. of an older person will say "warsh," and it's like, what? 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 You just added a letter? <laughs> yeah. Let's yeah, see. And- is is there any 
plans for diving? I mean, is that anything that anybody's got on the horizon or are we going to see less of it? Because I, I know some people have gotten a little bit of grief, you know, shamed for uh, being out. You know, if you're if you're on your own and you're not coming in contact with other people and you're keeping the social distancing, uh, it seems like that should be okay. But you're encouraged you know, to do that. We, you got to be a little bit healthy. I mean, uh, I don't think we want, you know, millions of, uh, you know, caged up crazy people. <laughs> Especially if could have divers. different problems. The, the divers already start off a little crazy. Well, and, yeah. I, I don't know. I haven't actually seen the language that our good governor put out regarding uh, pursuing exercise. And, you know, you could certainly make the argument that going scuba diving is, is exercise. It's just I think you're supposed to choose an activity which doesn't keep you away from home for very long. And, well, you know, suiting up in a dry suit and a rebreather might qualify as to keeping you from home for a little while. I don't know. Um, we're watching this closely. You know, the uh, preserve, we still have hopes of putting out some buoys this year. Um, I'm speaking to uh, from the uh, Southwest Mission Underwater Preserve. You know, we did get two, <clears throat> two buoys out last year. Uh, we have plans and funding to put up at least one more, possibly two more buoys this year. But uh, that has been, you know, I'm not pursuing it real diligently at this point. We have another board meeting coming up on April 26th. We're going to uh, discuss our plans for the summer at that point. We see, we'll see what happens here. Uh, I can say it's likely that we'll, if we can do it without violating uh, the governor's orders, if we can get up the buoys, which we already have installed moorings for, we will. Um, but of course, when we're operating on behalf of the state, we are going to operate within state guidelines. And uh, you know, those guidelines, as, as you see, are changing from day to day, week to week, hour to hour almost sometimes. So uh We'd love to get something out, but we want to make sure we're doing it, you know, within the standards established by the state for, uh, we're calling it stay home, stay safe. So, yeah, we're seeing folks in our chat room talking about uh, all of our friends and friends of friends having issues with the coronavirus here. And, uh, yeah, Derek, we're sorry to hear about your your wife's, your wife's, uh, your friend's wife there. Wow. Hope her test results come out well for her. So. Wow. But, you know, I mean, the the vast majority of folks are pulling through this. You know, we're always hearing about the worst case scenario. And, yeah, it, it is it is scary stuff, you know, particularly if you have any of the health conditions, which make it more challenging. Uh, you know, particularly if you're, you know, have a few years on you, you know, because there are various segments of the population which don't do as well with this virus as others do. Um, it is scary stuff, you know. Uh, all I, would just, all I can say is um, pray for the best and prepare for the worst. But, you know, the odds are on your side to be, for it to be the best. Uh, Mac, do you have a uh, dive safety story for this week? Oh, I have a, a good write-up on the title is, Why is Redundancy Important for Recreational Divers? Redundancy is a hotly debated topic among technical divers, and the debates are often over whether two pieces of gear are enough or three are needed. These discussions are less common among recreational divers, although they run into trouble underwater as well. Too often, the extent of divers' efforts to include redundant gear is leaving a spare computer on the boat or putting a whistle and signal mirror in the pocket of their surface marker buoy. So talk redundancy with your buddy this year and take a look at how you can reduce risk during your dives. Now, redundancy isn't a bad word. Redundancy is not a new concept, and it's relevant no matter what type of diver, what kind of diver you are. Whether you realize it or not, you've been employing redundancy on your dives since you were first certified. In PADI open water training, students are taught to assemble their gear, check it, then go over it again during pre-dive checks with a buddy. This form of redundancy helps keep problems from going unnoticed, enable divers to prevent incidents before they even hit the water. And in fact, the buddy system, a cornerstone of diving, is all about having a second pair of eyes, second set of equipment, and a second brain to help you solve problems that may arise. Now, redundant equipment, almost every recreational diver carries an octopus on their regulator. 
That's one widely accepted piece of backup equipment. The likelihood of a primary second stage failure is small, but that's part of what the redundancy is all about. Incidents in diving are thankfully rare, but when they do occur, they can be serious. Redundancy is about bringing enough equipment to provide a margin of safety in the event of the most common or serious failures, but not so much that diver safety is compromised or the enjoyment of the dive is unduly diminished. Striking the right balance requires some thought and consideration. Some dive gear has inherent redundancy. Your BC or your BCD likely has several ways to vent gas. One over the shoulder, either a vent or inflator hose. Another lower on the vest or the wing. The typical regulator configuration and BCD dump redundancy are common because they address two possible problems. Second stage regulator failure and loss of buoyancy control. These are a good start, but there's room for more redundancy in your equipment choices and practices. So reducing your risk. There are a wide range of options you can consider to prepare for serious and common incidences. Your favorite dive is a deep, deep, or a deep dark wreck or a shallow quarry. A spare mask is an excellent thing to have. Mask failures, leaks, and losses are not unusual. And unexpected mask loss generally means the end of an otherwise lovely dive. May even cause panic or an uncontrolled descent. A spare mask can fit in a pocket and will make a world of difference if you ever need it. An example, personally experienced, sort of dive in the uh, Bass River, up at the Blue River Bridge. You want to tether your mask because sometimes it's fast enough you can actually rip it off your head. If you didn't have it tethered so you could retrieve it, having that smeared mask in a pocket once you get to a sheltered part is not a bad idea. The same idea, uh, uh, idea applies to light for a night dive or a wreck dive. It can be disoriented to suddenly find yourself with a dead light, and signaling the boat in an emergency becomes much more difficult. What's the problem with tucking a small, inexpensive light in your pocket next to your spare mask, perhaps, and you'll be covered for most eventualities? Many redundant considerations will be based on the diving you're doing. When a diver exploring a multi-level sump cave project might bring a second rebreather to facilitate a safe exit from the furthest point of exploration, such a thing would clearly be out of place on a daytime dive on a shallow reef. If your dive involves current or a trip offshore, bringing a surface marker and several additional ways to signal for rescue, such as lights, dive packs, radios in a dive canister, etc., might be uh, prudent. Many deep water dives weren't a redundant gas supply. You might bring a spare regulator and mask on your next liveaboard trip in case you're lost in transit. But you might be able to get away with just your bare necessities from a lo- on a local shore dive. Choosing how to apply redundancy will involve a serious look at what's mostly likely to cause problems in a specific type of diving that you are doing. As long as additional equipment doesn't pose a hazard in itself in the form of task loading or entanglement, it's a good bet that bringing it along will help keep you safe on your next dive. In this case, redundancy can be fun. Yeah, I'm I'm a big fan of redundancy. Kind of an occupational hazard in what I do, but you always want to have plans for if one thing fails, what picks up for it. Well, anything that your life depends upon is worthy of bringing two with you. There you go. Like we say, if you got air, you got time. Very true. <laughs> I do have a shipwreck of the week, if you'd like. Certainly. Let's let's hear about the shipwreck. I'm going to post a couple links here in the chat room regarding the uh, Joseph P. Farnham. This is a uh, shipwreck we have here out just outside of South Haven. It's a bit of a deeper water wreck. See if I can get this link in here for that one. And I'm going to also share some pictures of it here. There aren't a lot of pictures of this shipwreck. I I managed to get up there about two years ago. And uh, let's see if I can copy this link in here. Oh, come on. It's not going to want to share, unfortunately. Yeah, okay. But the uh, Joseph P. Farnham, this is actually a wreck that one of our folks... uh, well, Jim Schultz is a regular on, uh, contributor on our program. He uh, was part of the team that researched to get an idea where this boat was. But uh, 
While surveying for the lost DC-4 airliner lost off the shores of South Haven, Michigan, Ralph Willibanks and the rest of the team from Clive Custler's National Underwater Marine Agency, along with MSRA, discovered two shipwrecks lying close together. Uh, I should mention that uh, we recently lost Clive Custler. He uh, did pass away about three weeks ago. Um, he had a real passion for hunting for shipwrecks. He was an author, wrote a number of books, which inspired folks to become divers later on. Um, one of the organizations he's responsible for is uh, NUMA, this National Underwater Marine Agency. Actually, it's a group that he put together fictitiously in one of his books, but became popular enough that he actually financed a real National Marine Underwater Agency, which comes out and did hunt for shipwrecks. But in any event, um, while they were looking for you know Flight 2501, it's a missing DC-4 off of South Haven, they came across another shipwreck out there. Uh, I do mention that you know Jim Schultz was part of this research as well here, but uh, even though a portion of the other wreck, the larger of the two, have been confirmed the remains of the Joseph P. Farnham. The Farnham was only two years old when she sank. Built at Cleveland, Ohio, 1887, she was a wooden-hulled bulk freighter with a single expansion steam engine and a single boiler. The steamer was built by H.D. Root for L.P. and J.A. Smith of Cleveland, and later was joined by a sister ship, Margaret Illwell, built by Root but 20 feet longer. I'm taking this information from uh, michiganshipwrecks.org. You can find more pictures and illustrations of this shipwreck there. Farnham was 152 feet in length, the beam of 33 feet. She was rated at a modest 410 tons and, and cost her owners $45,000. She was outfitted with the compound steam engine from the Winifred. Uh, see, I'm going to go a little further here to give you the uh, details of it. The Farnham left St. Joseph, Michigan, northbound for Escanaba at around 8 a.m. Saturday morning, July 20th, 1889. She was owned and captained by 41-year-old Lauren G. Vosberg, who on this voyage was accompanied by his wife and 10 crewmen. The wind was blowing fresh out of the northwest. The sea running progress to the north was slow. About 2 p.m., 17 miles northwest of St. Joe, Joseph, a fire broke out in the engine room. The crew attempted to put the fire out, but the donkey pump was disabled by the flames, and soon it became evident the ship was lost. This is scroll down here. Oh, come on. Back up. Back up. Come on. I don't want to lose this here. I'm <laughs> having a little bit of technical difficulties with this page here momentarily. Okay, the flames destroyed the lifeboat, forcing the crew to grab whatever materials they could find. The local newspaper said hatch covers and a large wooden fender and start building a raft. When the raft was complete, the crew abandoned ship. On shore, a watchman from the South Haven Life Saving Station was occasionally tracking the progress of the Farnham. The vessel was watched for nearly three hours from four before the blaze was spotted. As soon as the trouble was detected, steamer Glenn was requisitioned by the Life Saving Service to tow the lifeboat to the rescue. Arriving at the scene, the sun was setting when the rescuers spotted the survivors on the raft just as daylight was fading. Although the Farnham's crew were burned while fighting the fire, all made it safely to shore. The names of the rescued crewmen were Lauren Vosberg, Captain, Miss Bell Vosberg, Jazz Bowen, first mate, Daniel Leisenberg, second mate, Charles T. Martin, chief engineer, Frank Chambers, wheelsman, James Pratt, wheelsman, John Fay, fireman, James McMahon, fireman, John McNichol, steward, Andrew McNichol, deckhand. Anyway, the wreck today sits in about 165 feet of water. Uh, the uh, West, southwest of South Haven. Uh, it's a pretty decent dive, although this, this wreck is, does not tend to be buoyed. Um, I dove it a couple of years ago, and I was trying to share some pictures off my Facebook on it here, but Facebook's being a little goofy about sharing this stuff here. So I'm trying to find a link to this here. But uh tends to have really good visibility, a lot to see down there. Um, and then in the story, it mentions that the uh, ship was fighting a pretty stiff wind when it went down. And I was really surprised at just how small the boiler is on this ship. And I suspect they must have had this thing really, really stoked to make progress into a headwind. And perhaps it got hot enough that it uh, caught the deck on fire. I don't know. These guys, I'm sure they knew their business well enough so that shouldn't have happened. But, hey, accidents do happen. But, uh, you know, say. Really cool wreck right here off our backyard here in South Haven, the uh, Joseph P. Farnham, 1889, with no lives, no lives lost. And that that's a deeper wreck, isn't it? Yeah, it's like 165 to the bottom there. Of course, you don't you don't have to go to the bottom. 
you know, uh, the, uh, the mud is the mud is the mud down there. It all looks the same. So, uh, the mud doesn't look any different in, at 30 feet than it does at 200 feet. <coughs> Very cool. Yeah, this wreck's kind of unique in that it it must have had some sort of a uh, steam heat system throughout it. Because uh, although the superstructure is burned on it, uh, still to this day are a lot of large pipes that come well off the bottom. You know, a good, I don't know, 15, 20 feet off the bottom. Um, you know, the ship's kind of laid open. Wish I could. Now, the, the link I shared with you folks in the chat room there does show a video there. I believe that's taken by Valerie Van Heest and um, Robert Underhill. And it kind of gives you, you know, the, the layout of it there. I'm trying to get my link, my pictures to share in here, but for some reason I just cannot seem to bring them over. But, uh, anyway, I'm on Facebook, Kevin Ailes. Look at my albums. You'll see J.P. Farnham. And there's uh, a lot of pictures of the boiler, different stuff around down there. Uh, anyhow, there you have it. Thank you. Quite welcome. Do we have anything we want to plug before we get on out of here other than uh stay the hell inside and let's not spread this any more than it already is right now they said uh new york was the big spot that was uh, spreading like wildfire they're saying the detroit and that side of michigan is now we eclipsed anybody else and it's uh the speed of the number of people who were uh, catching this mm-hmm so it's not only social isolating or I mean, distance, it's you really need to be staying in your house and away from people. It is getting yeah. really yeah, scary. Do, do the right thing. Cause, you you, know, you want to avoid. You, keep in mind that you, you, you may be healthy and maybe they'll pull through this stuff here, but there's plenty of folks who have other other conditions which are going to make them more vulnerable. And you don't want to be the person that, that shares this with with someone here. I mean, they're talking about this virus is pretty hardy. And, you know, if you sneeze in a room, it can be still uh, viable to be passed for several hours. Um, It can live for several days on cardboard or hard surfaces. Um, It's all kinds of uh, different ways this, this can get passed around, you know, and it's not just a matter of you risking your health. You're risking the health of those around you if you don't play by the rules. I yeah, second that motion. Any... And as far as plugging items, uh, once this is all behind us, I want to remind everyone to uh, please support your local dive center. Uh, we all like to get those bargains online, but those bargains online aren't going to fill your scuba tanks. Also, be sure to uh, support your local libraries. Everyone seems to think that everything you need to know can be found on Google. And I can tell you there's plenty of information which is not being digitized. It's not going to make it to Google. And your your libraries need our support. When you have millages in your areas, vote for them. We need to keep our libraries around because when they're gone, all that very much information they have will be gone forever. Mac, do you have anything uh, you want to plug? I pretty much concur with everything he just said. And uh, we we appreciate your support. We hope that you're listening and, yeah, uh, help everybody is safe and shelters in place for a little bit. Yeah, we'll we'll get through this and hopefully be better off because of it. Are you guys ready for that time of the show? I'm sitting down. Yeah. Yeah. So here's one. A 15-year-old Amish boy and his father were in a mall. They're amazed by almost everything they saw but especially two shiny silver walls that could move apart and then slide back together again. The boy asked, what is this father? The father never have seen an elevator responded, son, I have never seen anything like this in my life and I don't know what it is. While the boy and his father were watching the amazement, a fat old lady on a motorized cart moved up to the moving walls and pressed a button. The walls opened and the lady rolled between them into a small room. The walls closed and the boy and his father watched the small numbers above the wall light up sequentially. They counted, uh, they continued to watch until they reached the last number and then numbers began to light in reverse order. The doors opened and a young blonde stepped out. The father, not taking his eyes off the young woman, said quietly to his son, go get your mother. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> all right all right <laughs> <laughs> don't 
Don't do that when I'm eating Pringles. Come on. I'm choking on these things here. <laughs> that, was that, that was a good one. <laughs> yeah. So, and if you have any feedback because of that, uh, the show at scoobobsess.com. Send so, the hate mail too. Yeah. I, I don't know. Do we have, yeah. do we have any, any Amish listeners here? We don't, we don't want to offend the Amish, of course. So. Uh, the, the, the Amish podcasts, I, I don't think those are really uh, much of a thing. They may be. <laughs> I don't know. Uh, but <laughs> in, until next time, go out there and get wet. And stay safe. And have a good time doing it. Uh, in the love chat our room. listeners. Yeah. yeah, actually, staying at home is not so bad, but it seems very strange to me that one bag of rice has eight thousand nine hundred fifty-six grains, and the other has eight thousand seven hundred forty-three. <laughs> Thank you, Derek. They are bored down there in Melbourne. Let me tell you. Wow. <laughs> yeah. Oh, you gotta love our peeps. Oh, peeps is not just a Michigan word. That's like everywhere, you know. So, yeah. <laughs> Oh, do you have have peeps in Melbourne? (laughs) I see Craig is in the... Yeah, did you hear Craig say anything, or did it just... just Recording. He said recording. Not recording. That's that's how bad my internet is. Well, are you you fussy, Derek? Are you telling me I should come up a little bit? The nice thing is I I record everybody's... uh, Everybody has separate channels, so we can bump it up and processing. I just brought the input up by about 15%. Is that better? Yep, on my end. All right. I'll leave it alone then. <laughs> Looked at a post from a nurse from Detroit. It ain't happy at all, to say the least. No promises, Derek. <laughs> these are the jalapeno Pringles. These are I'm enjoying these, and I'm not sharing them. Well, I am not going to be able to get the show notes, the show notes to load on this computer. Uh, I can pull them I up and share as we go I'm, here. I think I got them on yeah, mine here. Yeah, yeah. I can't get uh, Gmail is trying to even load. I shut everything down to try and get Discord to come up. You starting off with the uh, Blackbeard article? Uh, the yeah, the Blackbeard was going to be the first one, and then we had. Turn scuba gear to ventilators. Yeah, yeah. A couple. We had a couple of those articles and then we had the uh pristine shipwrecks in florida all the italian engineers on 3d hack yep so i'm not the only one drinking tonight yeah this is just some uh cran apple a little vodka and some ice Mm. and it's empty it's it's gone i'll have to survive the rest of the night so are you guys ready We'll go ahead and get started. Yeah. Let's do okay. it. Okay.